Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay Maestas, and today I am here with our wonderful guest, Lily Meshi. Lily, I just want to thank you so much for being willing to come on the show. Oh my gosh, Lindsay, thank you so much for having me on your show. No, I'm so happy to have you, and I have heard your story, and it is incredibly heartwarming, heart-wrenching, and just transformative, I think, for people who hear stories from people who have not always had everything cut and dry in their lives. And so I wanted to begin by just allowing my audience, our listeners to hear a little bit of your story. So we'll kind of backtrack. First, can you tell us what you do now and why you're on the podcast today? So I am the director of partner relations at Iran Alive Ministries. I work alongside the founder of Iran Alive Ministries, where we broadcast evangelical and discipleship programming through a 24-7 broadcast to Iran and other regions in the Middle East that are significantly Farsi speaking. Wow. And what compelled you to get involved with Iran Ministries? Yes. So I came to faith in 2002 and I, I'm sure you will ask me to share how I came to faith. But when I came to faith, I began exploring that Dr. Shariad and another pastor, Iranian pastor, had started their broadcast for just like, you know, once a week broadcast evangelizing to Iranians and also discipling them. So my mom and dad always had satellite TV in their home, even though they, at the time they lived in Austin, Texas, they always wanted to stay connected with, you know, Iranian culture, Iranian TV, you know, Farsi speaking people that they connected with, you know, growing up because my mom um, was in her, um, in her um, early fifties. My dad was in his late 50s when they moved to the U.S. And so every time we went to my sisters and I went to their home, they always would have the TV on that was far um, was speaking in Farsi. And Dr. Shariat's program, the founder of Iran Alive Ministries, was on one time, and we were so amazed that we could hear the gospel in our own ethnic language. And 20 plus years later, I have the privilege to to be able to work at the same ministry that really helped me grow in my faith and also my parents. My grandmother came to faith through their program, their TV programming as well. So there's this hard connection with yeah. us because my entire family really grew in our faith um, um, through, through their programming. Wow, that is so cool to hear. I never really saw any programs growing up that were faith-based. I just, I don't know why I think it was something that honestly I just skipped through because I know that they were accessible, but I love that that was part of your family and part of your story. And now that you get to be a part of that story, that is such a God thing. Absolutely. That is really wonderful. So as I read through kind of everything that you've gone through, I would love to just hear about maybe some of the challenges that you faced as a teenager 
when you moved from Iran to Germany and how did you navigate the cultural shock and adapt to a new lifestyle? Yes, Lindsay, it was very difficult because, um, you know, we were, my two sisters and I um, basically were born and raised in a nominal Muslim family in Iran. And when I was 16 and my younger sister was 14, we moved to Germany where my mom's side of the family lived. You know, right after the revolution, they had moved from Iran to Germany and, um, you know, they had been there for a long time. However, our life in Iran, my dad was an owner of a clothing factory and he was very well regarded in our community, in our family. We were what you would consider an elite family in Iran. And so life changed very drastically, very quickly when we moved to Germany because we literally moved from a three-story house, going to a private school, having everything we ever wanted, have our own privacy, our own rooms and everything into a two bedroom apartment with my cousin who also had three children. And so we, I mean, we were just so crowded in a two bedroom apartment and then not knowing why we were even there. Like what happened to our life? Why is my dad back in Iran? Why is my older sister still in Iran? And my mom and my two sisters are living with my cousin and it just didn't make sense it just um, you know and the language barrier age 16 as you know most teenagers already go through their own set of insecurities of you know right. self-image and self-esteem and all of that and add to that the language barrier and being thrown in German schools, not knowing, not fitting in, not knowing the language really well, not knowing the culture really well. I really, really struggled with um, enormous amount of insecurities thinking that, oh my gosh, I was treated as first class citizen in Iran, yet here I am more of an outcast. Like nobody wants to talk to me mm. because... I don't know the language really well. I have this really um, heavy accent when I speak in German and I don't smoke like the other teenagers were smoking uh, behind the um, you know, school's building and I don't drink and I just, I don't do any of the things that they were doing, you know, in high schools. And I, I just felt this inferiority complex hit me so hard at that age. And it's just, it was very difficult. And how did I navigate through it? I just think that, you know, at that age, I pushed through, I learned the language, I tried to fit in, I started, you know, going um, to work and started, um, you know, helping and supporting my, my uh, family financially a little bit. And just, you know, after a couple of years, we, we, sort of adapted to um, to the new environment, but it was very difficult at first. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine because I see students now who transfer just from one school to the other, right? And it that alone yes. is challenging to yeah. meet new friends. My mom was um, the daughter of, she was a military brat essentially. And so she was mm -hmm. moved over and over and over again. And that alone is difficult, but to completely shift your entire life and to shift your entire culture 
and belief system, but also, I mean, socioeconomic status, what is perceived as socioeconomic status was shifted as well. That's Mm -hmm. a really, really big challenge. I'm curious. This is just a curious question. You said you started working. Do you mind if I ask what you started doing when you were a teenager? And this was the best job, um, considering that I was only 16. Um, I started waiting tables at Pizza Hut in Germany. And so Pizza Hut is deemed differently in Germany than it is here in the U.S. It's actually one of their upscale restaurants because it's a it's kind of like an american pizza type thing and so oh, i started how funny at that age oh i love that oh that's cool I, yeah was cool. i'm curious because part of your story as well talks about a marriage that you entered into at a young age and how it brought upon some pain and difficulties how did those experiences shape your understanding of faith and spirituality or how how did that impact you as a whole yeah it impacted me in great way in a in, in a way that i am who i am um and the you know the character that was built um, th- um throughout the years you know going through pains abuse and tribulation as a result of a very toxic marriage, which was an arranged marriage for me. Um, I count it all um, as joy because, you know, at the end of the day, um, I um, got to know Jesus through the pains and tribulations that I was going through. And all of that made me uh, the person that I am today, where I want to share my joy and life in abundance with others and want to really share Jesus and what he had done for me. So when I was 18, still lived in Germany. And so through a chain of, you know, so many different events, like I mentioned to you, um, at first, my mom joined my um, younger sister and I in our emigrating to Germany. And then after, um, after a while, she had to go back to Iran because she couldn't get her immigration status straightened out there. And so she moved back to Iran. My dad then moved from Iran to the U.S. in pursuit of a new opportunity. As you can imagine, my dad basically lost everything through a bankruptcy in Iran. And so at age 58, he had to start all over again. And that was the reason why we moved to Germany to begin with. And so he just went from the the peak of his um, his career to basically having lost everything. And so we were all spread apart. Like we, like we were of a very close knit family when we were in Iran. And now my mom was in Iran. My dad was in the U S we, we did not see my dad for like a couple of years. And we were just talking with him on the phone. And so one time I was talking with him on the phone. I was very close to my dad. I loved my dad growing up and he was my hero. I looked up to him more than anyone else because he was very, very eloquent. He was um, honored in our community, in our family. And I always wanted to be like him, like do well and be respected and um, just, you know, have, you know, dignity and all of that. And so I was talking to him um, on the phone and he said, um, you know, Lily, I am actually um, I'm opening up my own restaurant here. I, I was given this opportunity um, through another Iranian guy 
who is in restaurant business and um, he's actually helping me in every way possible because I, you know, my dad is also alone there. He's also struggling as an immigrant, as someone who doesn't know the language really well. He doesn't, right. he doesn't know the ropes really well. And he wants to, you know, establish a new business being fresh yeah. off the boat yeah. in a different <laughs> country. And so he is already struggling and he, was so grateful that he got to know this other Iranian guy that understands his struggles, understands what he was going through and all that. And he was helping him open up this restaurant. Basically, he was the franchisor and my dad was going to be the franchisee of this restaurant. And and so he was kind of showing him how how everything's done. And um, as we were talking, he said, Lily, this guy that's helping me open up my business has shown interest in getting to know you for marriage. And when my dad said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy must be amazing because my dad was very overprotective. You know, growing up, he would like blush if we ever talked about guys and boys at home and he didn't want um, any boys near us and all of that. And I'm like, what happened to that overprotective dad that didn't want us to be around any boys like he's introducing me to this guy he must be amazing so trusting my dad I began speaking with him um, when I was 18 I did not know that his business partner was actually 14 years older than me now wow let me give you a little bit of context about this though because growing up in Iran we grew up in a culture where um, arranged marriage was an everyday event. Um, you know, seeing younger girls marrying older guys was very common for me. And so this act of my dad, like, you know, saying, Hey, would you talk to this guy? Um, you know, and he's older was not very uncommon. Um, was it strange? Yes, maybe a little, but it wasn't like it is as as I'm explaining it to my American friends and they're like, wow, sure. 48 years, because it's so uncommon here. But child marriages, arranged marriages, temporary marriages, these practices are an everyday event for Iranians because it's part of the part of their culture. It's ingrained in the culture and it's just wicked. And that's like, it has become my life purpose to bring, um, you know, light to the situation of the cultural dispositions that are happening in the Middle East and specifically in Iran, because that's where I grew up and I am familiar with the, you know, the corruption in the culture. And so that I wanted to give your audience a little bit of context, like when we say, wow, now, and, you know, obviously I now know that, you know, it was so wicked, that practice was so wicked. But back then I didn't think that was evil at all. You know, it was just mm-hmm. like, okay, that's just another arranged so, marriage. Yeah. So when you started talking to this man, did you begin to understand pretty quickly that your father was trying to set you up for an arranged marriage? Or was it just something you thought was conversation? It was just conversation. Um, There was no, um, you know, he wanted to get to know me Um, culturally. You can't just ask a father to speak to his daughter without without an intention for marriage. So 
he, okay. he had already asked my dad for permission to get to know me while I was in Germany and he was in the U.S. for ultimately a marriage. Now, here's what gets interesting, though. I This was just supposed to be, hey, let's get to know each other um, to see if we can click, if this is something that could result in marriage. But when I, um, you know, when when I moved to the U.S. six months after I started speaking with him on the phone, he came to pick me up from the airport. And from that moment on, I felt like I was already married. It was as if a marriage was already promised to him. It was like he was acting like he was my husband and as if I didn't even have a say in this anymore. You know, I, I just felt trapped the moment I met him in the U.S. And I was like, there's no way I can get out of this. And through it all, as when I moved to the U.S., as vulnerable as I was, when I saw my dad, how broken he is, you know, from being a business owner in, in Iran, he was basically being a runner for my uncle's restaurant. And he was like mopping the floor. He was like doing all kinds of very, very um, low level jobs. And I just saw him going from the top to the rock bottom. And so he was so broken. And so um, I just, I was so vulnerable. My dad was so vulnerable and all of us just were so broken and struggling, trying to get our family back together again. And we didn't know what to do to be able to like bring my mom from Iran to the U.S., bring my two sisters from Germany to the U.S. It was just, I made it to um, to the U.S. My dad was there and he was trying to, he, he thought the answer to, um, you know, our struggle is to open up a restaurant. And this was what could possibly get my mom a visa for business and my sisters and all of that. So everything, like we were all working towards getting his business established and up and running so that we could be together again. And so through it all, right. through our brokenness and the struggles and um, loneliness and all that, I was also sexually exploited by him and um, didn't, like I thought, okay, well, I don't have a way out anymore, you know, and everything's at stake here. My family is going to, you know, we, um, the only way we can come together is this restaurant. And so um, if I say no, I'm not. And he he was the means to an end to the restaurant. He was. Technically, right? Okay. And so I, I was like, if I call this off, uh, basically, I would destroy my family. If I do anything, he was just very controlling and threatening. And he was just not going to let me go. I, I just felt trapped. I just, I was like, this is it. I, there's no way out, you know? Well, that, that's so, a lot of pressure for an 18 year old girl too. Oh I mean, to gosh. carry that on your shoulders and that responsibility mix, the responsibility of trying to keep your family together mixed with the weight of being married to a man who is exploiting you mm -hmm. and not treasuring you, but knowing that that feels like the only way out. That's, that had to be suffocating. It was suffocating. Every day was a struggle for me. I mean, um, so, so the, he was very toxic. There was this psychological warfare going on for me. It was just lots of threats and verbal abuse and emotional abuse. And 
when I when we actually started living together after we got married, like sometimes even physical abuse. It was just ex- so excruciating. It was just I I felt like that at age 18 my entire life was wasted I was like there's no way I can get out of this I'm trapped in this forever and I was just wrapped in sadness and depression and I just you know didn't know whether or not there was a light at the end of the tunnel and so as I was like isolating myself in in this pain Um, there was just a lot of chaos and family feud going on. Like right after I got married, then my my dad and my husband at the time, they just got into it really bad because of business disagreements and all that. So fast forward, my mom ended up moving to the U.S. My two sisters joined us. So we finally were all together. And you are still married at this time? I was still married at this time. And so my, my entire family reunited. However, um, I'm like going through extremely um, terrible, like marital issues right now. And my, my dad and my uncle, as I mentioned to you, he also had been here for a while. Um, they got into really, really big legal business disagreement with my husband. Now I'm caught in the middle of a legal issue between my parents and my uncle and my husband at the time. So first I got trapped into this arranged marriage, got married, was able to send an invitation for my mom to come for my wedding. And so she was able to get visa to come to the U.S. My sisters came for my wedding to the U.S. So we, we brought all my family here. And after I got married, now there's a legal issue and I'm caught in the middle. It was the most terrible situation, as you can imagine. I'm like, first, I'm being put up to this. Now there's this family feud going on. I had no idea what was going on around me. I felt so betrayed, stumped upon, distrusting towards everyone while I was just so withdrawn from everyone. And I mean, I thought, like my own immediate family just betrayed me, you know? So it was very difficult. However, um, one day um, my mom contacted me and said, Lily, I have some friends over and they were part of our family, I guess like friends, family when we were in Iran and they wanted to meet me and um, they had not seen me since I was like little in Iran and all that. And they wanted to meet me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, mom, what else are you guys plotting against mm-hmm. me? Because I don't want to be a part of it again. I, like I said, I was so distrusting. Yeah. I didn't believe in anything, anyone. I was just a walking dead, just trucking along, not knowing what I was doing aimlessly. I was just going through life and just not knowing what I was doing. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'll come visit with them or whatnot. I just, you know, walked in there just, okay, well, what what else is here that they're, they're having plotted against me or whatnot. But then when I walked in my parents' house at that point, I felt this wave of joy and love and peace that just hit me as soon as I entered their house. Um, which I had never felt before and their friends just embraced me and loved on me and it was just amazing so 
their friends actually had come to visit my mom and dad and all of us prepared. They were Iranians that had come to faith and wanted to share the gospel with us. They prayerfully came to visit us, bring us Bible, bring us movies, you know, and and just wanted to share the gospel with us. And so when I walked in um, into their living room, they were watching Jesus' film. I sat there and watched the movie with them. And right when, as I was watching the movie, I heard the mother of the family say, Lily, did you know when you come to Christ, all your past will be gone and everything will become new. You become a new creation. You get to start fresh with God. And that seed was just, was sown in my heart. It is freeing. Oh my gosh, it is. And as you can imagine, I'm going through so much pain at that time. I'm depressed to the nth degree. I don't believe in anything in anyone. And literally in my Islamic faith, two weeks before I went to my parents to visit their friends, I looked up to heaven. I never forget this moment. There are some things that we do in the moment that we never forget and they make eternal impacts. So I was in the kitchen doing some work. I was so sad and feeling like betrayed and stumped upon and pressed down and crushed. And I felt like my dignity was gone. I felt like my entire life was gone. And I just looked up to heaven and I said, God, I want to have a do over with you. I want to have a fresh start. I want everything that has happened to my life to be erased and removed. And I want to start fresh again. Will you do that for me? And so I did that prayer. Two weeks later, I'm meeting with my parents, friends, and the mother of the group says, Lily, did you know when you come to Christ, all things will become new. All your past will be gone. And I'm like, I'm like stricken. I'm like, how did she know I prayed this prayer like two weeks before that? You know, it was just oh, that's the Holy Spirit was speaking through her. How did you navigate that? I'm curious with your mother kind of introducing you to these people, maybe for this purpose. How did you navigate the introduction of the Christian faith versus the Iranian faith that you had grown up with? Oh my gosh. Yes. That's a great question, actually. So the morning of that day, when I went to my, my parents, my younger sister met me at the mall and she said, Hey, um, have you met, you know, so-and-so at, um, at my parents? And I said, no, I'm going there tonight. She was like, Lily, they say Jesus is God. And I chuckled and I said, Jesus, the prophet. Hmm. And she said, yeah, they say a human being is God. And they, I mean, she said, I sort of believe that because they have a lot to back that up with. I, I was like, you're crazy. I mocked her. Mm-hmm. And so growing up in Iran, Jesus was one of the greatest prophets in the same category as Moses, uh, the prophet, and in the same category as Muhammad, the prophet. Right. Like he was, he was a prophet of God. Um, Yet there was one distinction um, that they usually talked about in in Iran, in our our schools, that they said Jesus was 
uh, one of the greatest prophets who had performed many miracles. That's all I knew of Jesus. That's all I knew. And so, plus my sister said, hey, they say Jesus is God. And I said, no, absolutely not. This is blasphemy. And so, and then I, I, this is my background. And then she, and I went in there with this type of background, totally opposing that Jesus could be God, totally not understanding it. And um, I just watched Jesus film there. And then this woman told me uh, about, you know, becoming a new creation in Christ. And then when I got up to leave, um, the daughter of that woman said to me, Lily, um, I know you have been struggling ever since you guys moved from Iran. I know you, life has been terrible for you. You are going through, you know, marital issues and all of that. But do you mind if I share just the passage from the Bible with you? And I'm already, my heart is prepared. I just watched um, Jesus' film and um, I'm like, yes, you know, um, share with me whatever it is on your heart. And so she opened up the word of God to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Mm -hmm. Then she read John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when she read uh, John 1, 1 and John 1, 14 to me, I am like sobbing at this time, and I'm not knowing why. I'm like... Tears are uncontrollably rolling down my cheeks. And without her even asking me, I said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I literally just said it voluntarily. Wow. Like, I'm like, okay, this, this just came out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was happening at that moment, but that was the moment that I had a Holy Spirit encounter. Like it was one of those times that the presence of the Lord was so strong there. And I felt it. And I, it was just that truth of Jesus being Christ and my Lord and Savior was established in me, like without even knowing how. Right. I just knew that I knew that I knew that something was revealed to me in that moment. And now I refer to it as Holy Spirit, Rhema or Revelation. Beautiful. It was just beautiful. It was just beautiful. So I asked her, I said, how do I become a Christian? I want to become a Christian. I want to be Jesus's follower. And so she pointed me to a Bible-based church, and I started going to to that church. But I was still married to a very, very abusive man. Um, And I I started going to Bible studies, you know, learning um, about the new faith and just going through it. And, um, you know, in my now new faith as a Christian, I... Divorce was definitely not an answer. How did your husband respond to you becoming a Christian? This is kind of a two-sided question. Yeah. I'm just curious. It's such a beautiful story, and it's such a gift, I think. I mean, it is. It's such a gift that these women were willing to sit you down and have this conversation and be so bold with you Mm -hmm. because that is what we're called to do. And sometimes it can feel really intimidating but look at what an impact it has made. And look at look at your life now and you're proclaiming the gospel and sharing and helping other women and, and men around the world 
all from one moment of sitting down and having a conversation and reading scripture. It just empowers me, even as I live in my neighborhood, to be more bold and to be more um, willing to share openly because it is something that I think we often hide away from as I don't want to offend, you know, I don't want to offend them or they believe something completely differently than I do. Who am I to say? But when we know that truth is truth and when we've experienced the presence of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit, it reminds us that everybody is longing for that relationship with God because he's created us for that relationship. So my questions would be, one, did you feel a push-pull at all of like, am I betraying what I've always known? Am I, have I been deceived my whole life? Like what were those thoughts? And then secondly, how did your husband respond to you becoming a Christian? Absolutely. First off, Lindsay, I want to go back to what you were referring to about being bold. I often talk about it when I speak at different places. I often, um, because like you mentioned in this society, even here in America, I mean, in Iran, Christians are persecuted badly because of the name of Jesus. But here in America, we sort of um, tend to shy away from sharing our faith with others. Um, And um, I often remind myself and everyone that I get to, um, you know, speak with that, you know, the two women that ministered to me when I was at the lowest point of my time in my life, it was just the lowest. I mean, if they, if God did not reach to me, probably around that time, I probably would have ended my life because I was at the lowest, lowest point of my life. And he probably knew that. And so all they shared with me was not a crafty speech. It was not, um, let us educate you about the divinity of Christ. Let us educate you about the Trinity. Let us educate you about how Jesus was the son of God and son of man. They said none of that. They didn't come up with anything eloquent or they didn't come up with anything crafty and clever or anything like that. All they shared with me was straight from the word of God, because there's power in the word of God. There's just, we sometimes as believers underestimate the power of the word of God. And we just think that we can come up with these ways and strategies to um, go and share the gospel. All people sometimes need most of the time, I would say, is the power that would be revealed and released and unleashed into their lives. And the Holy Spirit would just reveal it to them through the word of God that is alive and active, and it has power to change lives. And so I I just wanted to add this because, yes, as believers, even I am guilty of this. We shy away from sharing our faith, our stories, and 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 even the word of God. And we try to come up with, you know, strategies to share the gospel. How can we, you know, learn more about them, first make friendship with them, and then go do this and that. I didn't know these two people. I mean, I probably met them when I was so little in Iran. All they shared with me was you know, two verses from John and, you know, in first Corinthians that all things will become new when you come to faith and boom, Holy Spirit revealed himself to me. So good. I'm so thankful for that because it really is something that I think as you become 
I, I can only speak for myself. When I was a new believer, it felt so easy to do it because I was in the mm-hmm. thick of that transformation, in the thick of the growth and sanctification, and I felt it and I wanted everyone to feel that same thing. I just wanted them to see it and experience it. But as you mature in your faith and it goes from kind of this honeymoon faith to a deep, deep love and relationship, it can be similar to a a healthy marriage, right? Where you are in honeymoon phase and you're so giddy and happy. And then it grows into a deeper love where you're not talking on the phone for 10 hours a night Mm -hmm. and having those conversations, but it's, it's very real and tangible. Yet the excitement and that fire can die down if we allow it to, if we don't build upon that relationship with God, if we don't lean into the changes that he's making in our everyday lives. It may not be as drastic as it was at the beginning, but it is still continuous. And in that, like that beautiful depth is still something to share. So I have to remind myself of that. And you've reminded me of that even more so today. And so I appreciate you sharing. Oh, thank you. Um, I appreciate you saying something about it because it sort of reminded me to also share this with your audience. Um, so when I came to faith, um, uh, my husband, um, was very much against Islam and he was very, you know, just because of a lot of, you know, psychological issues and all that, he was very suspicious of, um, Islamic practices and he wanted to sort of run away from that. And when he found out, Um, that I came to faith, he was very accepting of it. And he was like, oh my gosh, yes, I have a lot of Christian friends. Let's go to church together. You know, he was very accepting of it. And so um, I didn't really go through the rejection of, because he was, he was not, um, he, like all of us were like nominal Muslim. If you are born in Iran, you're automatically considered a Muslim. Um, especially after the revolution of 1979. And so he was, um, he was totally okay with, you know, changing my faith. And um, he also claimed that he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so I'll leave that all um, up to him and God. But so I didn't go through the rejection of, you know, changing my faith from him or from my parents, because the, the beauty of this story is that when I came to faith, literally about two months later, my mom and dad also came to faith. And they both have like different stories as to how Jesus revealed himself to them, which are beautiful, just beautiful. Mm-hmm. My dad literally saw a vision and um, he accepted Christ. And, and but all of my mom and dad, I was um, talking with them about, you know, how they came to faith and all that, because I was just, you know, writing an article about it. And um, they both, um, I saw one common thread in their, in their testimonies, um, both their th- testimonies, and both of them had to do with loving um, friends around them. Christian friends that really um, embraced them and um, loved on them unconditionally. And so because they were impacted by the different type of love that they experienced, they were they, they were willing to learn more about Jesus and his word and going to church and all that because they were like, these people were different. 
You know, and Jesus says, yeah. others will know you by your love, by the fruit of the spirit. And so um, to me, that was very, that was very eye-opening when I heard their two, uh, both their testimonies and both of them had said it was because of our friends that loved on us and accepted us they were, the way we were. Um, we were willing to hear them more and more. And finally, Holy Spirit revealed. Anyways. Wow. Um, That's so incredible. It is. It, it really was. And so, so because we, my parents and I sort of grew in our faith together, I really didn't have to go through um, the rejection of changing my faith or anything like that, which was a huge blessing for me. Hmm. There are a few things that I have in my brain that I want to ask because I can just imagine our audience wondering, just kind of going back to the arranged marriages, because you've shared just in your own story that this is a corrupt system that you fight Mm -hmm. against. Can you share a little bit about what did you feel that day? I've always just imagined what it would be like, like on the wedding day. What did you feel on the wedding day? At this point, did you know he was abusive and toxic or were you feeling just this battle in your mind to be the girl that your parents wanted you to be? What thoughts did you have on that day? I actually, as I was getting ready to be married to him, I remember I had my dress on, I was putting on makeup, and the thought just hit me that I'm already exploited by him and he's already being abusive, let alone being legally married to him. What all is going to happen to me? And I remember vividly running out of the house and just feeling overwhelmed of um, just the burden that was on my shoulders. And I just didn't know what to do. I felt so trapped. I felt so trapped. And my sisters actually came um, after me and they brought me back home. And, you know, and um, they just talked to me and they said, you know, this is, you know, this is going to be okay. You know, he's really not a bad person, all of that. He's just, maybe he's going through some mental issues and we can help him, all that. So anyways, they they just sort of talked to me about it. But I, I just, as an 18-year-old, which I want nobody to ever go through what I went through, I, I, the whole time I was thinking, my mom is in Iran waiting for my wedding invitation sent to her so she can come and join her family. I need to go through with this. My dad's business is dependent upon probably this marriage. So I need to go through with this. I'm already sexually exploited. So no other man ever wants to be with me. So I need to go through with this. So I just went with it in spite of, um, you know, not wanting to. I sort of was circumstantially forced to it. Right. I was forced to marry him by circumstances. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about fighting against this, what are things that you're able to do or were able to do to help aid in that, in the fighting of the corruption? And, or is that something that we're able to help with? Yes. 
So my message um, to Iranians every time I get a chance to go on the broadcast and sort of writing a lot of these things so that I can actually leave behind um, to create some sort of movement about this, because, I mean, it's just so corrupt, is that do not go with the flow. Do not, if you know something down in your heart that is wrong, stand up, speak up, do not go with the flow. You can't change people. You can't do anything about abusive people because most of the time, the angry people, abusive people are going through some psychological and mental issues that is beyond the scope of what as people can do. They need psychological help. And so to help those people around us, we need to cut all ties and actually ask those the abuser to seek professional help and seek guidance and seek the Lord in their in their life. What I did that was wrong, I stayed in this very toxic marriage by isolating myself because I was so ashamed of being the abused the abused. I was so ashamed of staying in this toxic marriage and uh, I was so prideful for not and didn't didn't really seek community didn't really talk about my issues because I was prideful because I thought that if people find out about my issues and the abuse that's going on in my life they're going to question my um, sanity they're going to think I'm crazy and I don't want that I wanted to keep my dignity I wanted to keep my pride intact we, but my message today is don't stay in isolation. Seek help, seek community of faith, um, faithful believers that would pray for you, that would give you guidance, that would speak life to you so you cannot stay in the abusive situation. So th this is really two things. Do not go with the flow if you think deep in your heart something's wrong you know, seek advice and seek guidance, both from God and from people that are in, in this space. And then do not keep yourself in isolation. Seek community of believers that would speak life to you, that would provide you guidance and the word of God. And the other thing is I wasn't really mature in my faith. I was still a new believer and did not um, interpret the word of God in the right in the right in the, in the right light i came um to my new faith with my you know islamic um still scale system to where i have to earn god's favor by works and if god says in his word that he hates divorce then if i divorce i'm going to be cursed which was totally a um, stronghold that I brought in to my new faith from the Islamic practices that, hey, you it is by works that you earn God's favor. And if you're not perfect, you're going to be cursed by God. And, and he's waiting for you to have a mishap or, mis or make a mistake um, to punish you. I came in with that stronghold and mentality into my Christian faith, not knowing that it's not by works. I'm, I'm saved by his grace and I'm not earning God's favor by my works and my 
and perfectionism. Right. Um, I am not perfect. I am, I am complete in God. Anyways, I just, you know, the maturity that we need to, to reach in our, in our faith walk takes time. That's why we need to be in a community of believers to have those guidance. Yes. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think that one of the areas where people lack is that isolation that you're talking about mm-hmm. because it can, the fellowship, the body of Christ is not something to be diminished. It is not something to be picked through and chosen, whether or not it's something we want to be a part of because the building up of one another, that edifying, that encouragement. There are so many moments where the enemy is pushing, pulling on us or the world is pulling on us. Mm -hmm. We're falling into those belief patterns or we're falling into um, just loneliness or anger or pride or sin. And that community, how quickly it can draw you back in. And I just, I love, it's such a gift that you had your parents, Lily, to walk through that with. That is such a cool thing. I'm sure challenging in some ways too, but your story is just, it's an encouragement. And I just want to thank you so much for being open and vulnerable and sharing because I know that it brings freedom to so many. Um, I do know that I have some listeners from Iran. And so I just pray that your story meets the hearts of many, many around the world. And just in closing, I'd like to ask you, because your story is one of such resilience and triumph over your adversity, what is maybe some encouragement that you would give to our audience today who are feeling like they are stuck in a pit or they are hopeless or they are stuck in a marriage that feels toxic or abusive? What would your message of hope or encouragement be to them who are seeking this spiritual peace that you have received in your own life? Absolutely. Uh, thank you for asking that because um, every time I, I share my story, I want to highlight the redemptive power of God um, that, um, you know, is manifest in my life. And I want your audience to know that um, there is nothing too difficult for our God. He um, is all um, powerful. He's all able. He's um, he's a sovereign God, and He sees our pain. He meets us where we are. And the the way the Lord set me free from the trap that I was tr- I was struggling with was um, one through His grace. Two, um, through me being on my knees, seeking his presence and seeking his um, face and um, longing for having an intimate relationship with him, asking him to guide me and direct my steps and show me what I need to do, Lord, to have a life that would make an impact on many, many others. And so my encouragement to you is God sees you where you are. God, and we, we serve a God that sees. We serve a God that's all sovereign and there's nothing too difficult for him. He is able to, um, to set you free from the strongholds, from the abuse, from any difficulties that you may be in. Just seek his face 
seek his advice, tune in to hear his voice, because he's the, he's a personal God. He speaks to every single one of us uniquely and, and based on, you know, based on our circumstances. And so that is my encouragement. Just, just become more intimate with him and he will guide you and he will direct your steps. Amen, Lily. Thank you so much for sharing. Please let our audience know where they can find you and where they can find Iran Alive and Iran Alive Ministries. Absolutely. IranAlive.org is our website. Um, I highly encourage your audience to become an insider by um, scrolling down on on the homepage and um, share with us their name, their email address. We send out testimonies like mine from so many Iranians that we receive every single week um, from inside Iran of how they see dreams and vision of Christ, how they um, um, how the Lord speaks, um, you know, um, from, you know, either through me, through Dr. Sharia, through so many others on our channel, um, by just revealing to them who Christ is from watching our, our programs. And so we share so many testimonies that are encouraging so many testimonies from the persecuted church in Iran um, that would be of encouragement to you and also um, people around you. So I encourage you to do that. Also, um, we send testimonies through text. If you prefer text over email, you can send the word Iran, I-R-A-N, to the number 85789 and we send periodic testimonies through text as well. Wonderful. I will add all of that to my show notes. And I just want to thank you again for being here, for taking the time out of your day to speak truth and hope and encouragement over the Living Easy audience. And I'm just honored to know you. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to know you, Lily, and to know a bit of your story. It encourages my heart more than you know to – it puts – things into light where the difficulty sometimes that I feel that I'm having, it is always a reminder to me when I speak to others that there's a large world out there with so many things going on and so many changes that can be made, but we have to use our hands and feet and the hands and feet of Jesus to make a difference. And that's exactly what you're doing. So I am honored to have you. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for the opportunity to share my story with your audience. And I appreciate your time and um, your willingness to hear my story as well.